Welcome to Shift, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can get a free trial at achievable.me, and if you like it, use the code podcast, which will get you 10% off. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Mark Kruver from Capstone Educational Consultants. Mark, if you could just give a quick background about yourself and your company, that would be great. Thank you, Tyler, for having me today. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. As Tyler said, my name is Mark Kruver. I'm with Capstone Educational Consultants out of Peachtree City, Georgia in the Atlanta area. Pretty excited to be represented here today. I'm the founder and owner of Capstone Educational Consultants. Been doing college consulting for 10 years, college admissions work for another 10. Been in the industry for about 25 years doing this on and off. And pretty excited to be here with you today and talk a little bit more about uh, about college things. Yeah, about the hard parts, right? So the the title of this episode really is kind of how to handle failure, right? Um and when I when we talk about failure, I mean, the two ways this comes up in the college admissions process are not getting into the college that was your first choice college, or even not getting into all of them that and then also even like talking about like, maybe you didn't get the SAT or ACT score that you wanted, or things like that. So I'd love if we could start with the college example. So when you've got, you know, a dream school that you've really got your hopes, your your heart set on, you toured everything, this is definitely your top choice, and then you get the the wait list or the rejection letter. Like, How do you react to that, and how do you make the most of it? Yeah, well, students tend to react uh, in a number of different ways. And of course, you know, there's <laughs> there's a lot of different uh, variables uh, in that reaction and what causes it. But, but quite honestly, it, it all stems from the options they give themselves. Right. So when you're building that college list, mm-hmm. it's super important to have a, a, a good variety of schools on that list where you feel like, okay, these are these are schools that I would really, really love to get into. And if I did, I'd probably go to one of them, but I realize it's going to be a hard sell for me to get into them down to uh, mm. the, the the level of schools that are on my list that if I were accepted and they were the only ones that I were accepted to, I'd go and I'd be happy, but they're not my first choice and I'll likely get mm-hmm. in. So those varying, you know, that, that, that kind of pendulum swing of schools on your list is really important. What happens, Tyler, is uh, oftentimes students will, when developing their own lists on their own, have few schools on it, all of which are likely difficult to get into, and all of which are mm-hmm. top choice schools. Like, And maybe there's one on there, especially, that they just have to be at. Now, when you put a, a right. sc- when they put a school on the list that you just have to be at, you're only setting yourself up for like likely failure, right? Because you're putting all of your eggs in a basket that the odds are not necessarily in your favor. And, uh, and, and, and of course, the argument comes back to you, Tyler, from the students and possibly even the parents. So, you know, it always comes back to you to say, yeah, but my son or my daughter or I am 
and fill in the blank with Superman's credentials, right? And they're definitely mm-hmm. getting it. Um, and so that just that that creates an environment where them they're more likely not to get in than they will get in, and failure is inevitable. Now, how do you respond to that? That's the question at hand, right? So how do students respond? They respond in a number of different ways, um, some of which declare war on the college, right? And <laughs> and reach out to the admissions office um, with all guns a-blazing, figuratively, and say, look, why didn't I get in? And definitely not setting themselves up for any opportunities to uh, to to really take a look at you know the application again. I mean that they're setting themselves up for a done mm-hmm. deal. Um, and and really, it, it's kind of kind of a pouting moment, if you will. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but but mm-hmm. students have not demonstrated for themselves um, an environment where failure uh, is responded to well. And so they, they set themselves yeah. up for that. And that's, that's a, that's a sad, sad point. Well, that's actually, I'd love to like back up a little bit and dig into that. Cause yeah. uh, what I thought was most interesting is you said that when you've got a student and particularly parents that are like, my student has to go here. Right. And here is usually like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, whatever. Yeah. Um, or it's something, or it's like a very good school nearby. Um, like Georgia tech that I see on your, on your wall back there. Right. Sure. And, and people just, it's like, they have to go here. Why does that set you up for failure? Why does that set, like, if you're a parent, why was, is that setting your, your child up for failure? Like, how's that creating an environment where you're less likely to get in? Well, you're living in a world of an absolute. It's mm-hmm. all or nothing. And when you, when you put yourself in a, in the circumstance of all or nothing, um, where all is almost impossible, <laughs> you end up with nothing. And nobody likes that. And especially if, if all you've been talking about since you're three years old is to be at Harvard um, or pick your most important school ever for you, right? Your dream school, wherever that is. And you've been talking uh, over the dinner table or, you know, to your grandparents or to whomever, you've got every shirt in the book and every sweatshirt hat and, and, and flag to hang on the front porch. And when it, when push comes to shove, you don't get in you've set yourself up for failure. Um, you've mm-hmm. got to be prepared for, I always tell my students, you got to have a backup plan. Life is full of failures, right? That's where we grow. That's where we mm-hmm. we become better at who we are, right? Um, we improve our own life in the, in the midst of failure. But what is your plan right. B? What is your plan C? If that doesn't work out, what happens? And unfortunately, when you have one school on your list or several absolute schools on your list and you get into to none of them, uh, plan B is important. That's why I emphasize at the beginning, Tyler, it's so important to have a, a, a variety of schools with a pendulum of, mm-hmm. uh, of opportunity and, po- and possibility uh, to have on your list. Well, I also think it's important to re- rem- for people to remember and recognize that 
you know, Harvard has, I guess now it's like a 3% admittance rate, right? Um, right. So, okay, that doesn't mean that you submit your application and you have a 3 out of 100 chance of getting in. That means that they're admitting the best 3% and it's also, you know, those people are probably all very qualified. Like, it's not like 3 out of 100 chance with, uh, you know, a bunch of people that are just like you. It's going to be all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds and they're all going to be very competitive in their own way, right? Um, People generally don't waste time with college applications. I'm sure that Harvard gets more maybe like time wasting from their point of view applications than other schools just by the name. But I think that in general, you shouldn't take look at that and say, okay, I have a 3% chance of getting in. You should look at that as, you know, they're taking the top 3% out of everybody that applies, right? That's, it's a lot more difficult, right? Like in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's also, frankly, the context is, that everybody else who's very, very high achieving in their own ways is also going to be in that mix, right? So even if you're a stellar student, you're the valedictorian of your high school, a lot of other people applying to Harvard are also valedictorian of their high school, right? That just puts you in one category. And, you know, maybe they have also started a charity, like who knows, right? Like these are very selective schools, but it's, it's just that you can't, you can't just say, well, I'm the best in my neighborhood, so it should be a done deal. No, and using Harvard as an example, Tyler, that's a that's a great that's a great reference point because, you know, in in their freshman class or their admissions class that they're trying to admit to, there are fewer available freshman seats than there are uh valedictorians in the entire country. And if you right. think uh, if you think in terms of you know yourself, I can't apply to Harvard because I'm not a valedictorian, right? I'm not smart enough. That's the <laughs> that's the that's the logic, right? Well, if that's the logic, then uh, you know think of all the valedictorians who never make it into Harvard because they don't have the credentials right. because they're not part of that. Three percent. So it's it's real important to get perspective, and and that's why that's why talking with getting getting counsel from um, people who are who are familiar with the processes and the statistics and what it takes to get into selective schools, like myself as a college consultant. And others across the country, in every neighborhood we're in, there, there, there's an independent educational consultant that can assist in helping you formulate a college list that makes sense for you um, so that you don't have to suffer from a moment of failure and have no backup plan, but have uh, the ability to pick yourself up when you get that denial or deferment and move to the next step in the process um, with confidence and Mm -hmm. understanding that, you know what, you're going to go somewhere. It just may not be exactly where you have always dreamt to be. Um, Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Gilmore Girls, but I believe that she spends the entire show talking about going to Harvard and then she goes to Yale. And I mean, okay, like if you're choosing, (laughs) if you, if you don't get into Harvard and you get into Yale, I don't think anyone's terribly upset, but the point is that 
you know, what your dream was is probably based off of more of an idea than of your current present reality. Right. Right. And I think that also in particular, I mean, something that I think is really interesting is you were talking about the pendulum of schools and you've got the most difficult schools and then you've got kind of the schools that are easier to get into that you're maybe less excited about getting into. And that is totally true. That's very much how students view it. But it's funny because basically they're just looking at the schools that are harder for them to get into as better and schools that are easier for them to get into as worse. Right. And that's not quite right. You no. know, like it, it totally depends on what you want. It totally depends on like it, you might have had a terrible time at Harvard. You might have been miserable. Right. And you might be having a lot more fun wherever you ended up, or you might have found, you know, a much better program for a specific area that you're interested in where you ended up, where you're getting a lot of attention because you're one of the, you know, top students in the class instead of kind of not. And it's just, you know, you, I think that that is the context or the, what I would say to somebody is like, you're, you're, most selective schools are not necessarily your best fit schools. Correct. Yeah. They're not going to be your best fit in, in most cases, right? So that's why it's so important to collect a list of schools on, on your list that represent who you are. And regardless of whether or not they're so, you know, difficult to get into or not so difficult to get into, any one of which if you got into it and you would, you would feel comfortable attending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, yeah, that is, that is key is you, you have to, you have to make peace with your plan B before it becomes relevant. Right. Yes. Like if you're, if you're sitting there and you're like, well, if I don't get into plan A, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be distraught. Right. Like you have to, the thing, the point of plan B is that you still like plan B. And, and honestly, you should still like plan C too, right? Like you should right. be excited about a school, at least one school in each bracket, if not all of them. Yes. Right. Otherwise, you know, applying to college is a lot of work. Like, why are you applying? Right. Why are you doing all just, this work? If you're just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's so important to have those conversations early um, about about the, these colleges on the list because, you know, being able to... Pull yourself up by the bootstrap, so to speak, right? When when you don't really get that that school that you really wanted to get into, um, and 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 being able to look forward and look look ahead uh, beyond that is so so terribly important, right? And then there's also in some instances there's things you can do, right? So. I think this is also, I mean, this kind of bleeds over to the test, like not getting the test score that you want also, but I think it also applies to getting like deferred or waitlisted where um, you do have actions you can take, right? Your odds are still low and you should still be kind of looking at plan B, but you know, you can, you can still have the continuation of plan A for if you get deferred or if you get waitlisted, you know, okay, well then we're going to do these things, right? So what are some of the things that you can do just to kind of bump your application to the top of the pile if you get deferred? Yeah, if you get deferred, um, 
what's important is anything that has changed um, either on your application um, or in your world, right? When I when I mean that, I mean you got a you had a, a you had a B plus in you know calculus, and now you have an A plus. Um, you you mm-hmm. you had a twenty six on your ACT. Now you have a thirty one on your ACT. You've had some significant change that has taken place since the moment you submitted your application for consideration. Then it's worth sending in uh, those those changes. And so I just want to let you know while you're still making decisions for those who were deferred, like myself, I wanted to bring your attention to things that have taken place since you considered my application. And then list them and share them. Some of them only give, some colleges only give a limited amount of of uh, words to use to do that, in which case you need to be very concise. Now, don't hurt yourself. Hurting yourself in the midst of deferment, mm-hmm. when you think you're trying to help yourself, is submitting submitting that that uh, that information with no significant changes that have happened. But uh, instead, mm-hmm. you're saying, uh, "I would really like to be there." <laughs> This is my first choice. Mm-hmm. If if I'm not there, I just don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Well, that's not going to get you there. But we do need to see some significant change. So that's in the midst of right. deferment is the value added. Um, if, if there's been no significant change, then sit back and you literally are going to have to wait. But if there's change, I would say to your benefit, submit those changes and let them see the improved the improved you. Right. And I think it's, I think it's also important to kind of, as part of your plan A, you know, you should be prepared to show good changes, right? If you, you need to be prepared to have that higher ACT, SAT score or your A plus in calculus by actually doing the work when you don't know if you'll need it. Right. But that's the, that's the rub, but that's also life, right? Like, I mean, (laughs) so much of, jobs is doing a really good job for something that may or may not see the light of day. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you need to be prepared when it it does, right? You know, it's like the, uh, I, I'm a 49ers fan and nowadays we're all excited about Brock Purdy. He prepared every week like he was going to start. And then when he, it, you know, so he finally did start, he was ready. Right. right? And so you've got to have that mindset if you're going to be thinking about, you know, applying to selective schools or just apply. I mean, any anyone applying to any schools probably has a list where they've got some that they are less likely to get in, and some they're more likely to get in. You want to. You don't want to take your foot off the gas until you've actually been accepted somewhere. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I like your analogy. You know, you gotta you gotta practice like you're gonna be next off the bench, even if you're third string. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I can't remember the football uh, the football teams, but we've all seen it happen where. You know, there's been an injury on first string. There's been an injury on second string and third string has to go in. And it's the last most critical play of the game. Right. Um, And so you this this is the moment you've prepared for and you should live your life like that. That's the moment you've been preparing for. Right. Exactly. And then when we talk about, um, you know, basically like handling failure with test scores, how do you also kind of bounce back on 
getting your test scores up for the next round. I think that's just like a good one to kind of wrap, uh, yeah, quickly cover before we wrap. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing more discouraging than getting a score uh, below that, which you've prepared uh, and dreamt of getting. Um, it, it's just mm-hmm. a blow to the gut. It really is. And I've watched students just literally decompress in an instant of all um, confidence that, that they might have moving forward. The best thing for you to do is, is you know, go ahead and mourn that moment. Mourn it, but get over it and step beyond mm. it and, and get, get ready to get prepared again. And really dig in and identify those, those areas that need improvement, those areas that, that unfortunately were not sufficient to bring you to the score you were looking for, and invest time in those moments. Now, that investment does not necessarily mean um, hire a tutor or spend money, but find it in mm. your own way that's best suited for you, the method by which you can improve that score. You know what it takes. Um, You know you better than anybody, and you know what it's going to take to get there. Um, And I just invest that time. Invest yourself into it. Um, and, and, And go into it, Tyler, and I think this is important. Go into it knowing uh, that you're going to put forth your absolute best effort and your 100% mm-hmm. uh, confidence in doing the best you possibly can and accepting in accepting the results. And that's the key. Mm-hmm. You got to be prepared to accept the results. Right. Well, and also just remember that, you know, like getting into Harvard, this is a test that a very, very small percentage of people get the top scores on. And, you know, you're competing with everybody who is a top scorer in the whole country. You're not, you're competing right with the other valedictorians, so to speak, right? Or the other math whizzes at all the other schools, right? And so it's, it's important to kind of keep this context that, um, you know, your, your high school or, or wherever you are is not the only high school or even the only, let's say, prestigious private school or whatever in, in the country. And there's a lot of other really competitive kids that are trying to do the same thing you're doing. And that's why it's hard, right? It's also why it works. If everybody could get a perfect SAT score, it wouldn't really work. Right. Um, it, it would just be like everybody getting a 4.0 nowadays, which is kind of like, cool. I don't really learn anything from that because I have no idea how hard that was. Right. So that's where, you know, it is meant to be hard and it's meant to kind of be a little bit of an ego destroyer, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and also, Tyler, it's important to remember, too, that it's not a reflection of who you are. You know, yes. your score is not a reflection of who you are. The school you can you get into or don't get into is not a reflection of who you are. And that's super important right. to remember that your core of who you are is based on something completely different than the school or the score. Right. And in particular, um, there are plenty of people who went to, you could call them average colleges or got, you know, average ACT, SAT scores and end up being really successful. Correct. Like there was a whole scandal 
because the guy who uh, was the CEO of Yahoo, I think this was like 10 years back, like never graduated college. <laughs> he just like lied that he had a degree until he got to be the CEO of Yahoo. And then somebody probably figured this out and wanted to get rid of him. And so they went to the press with it. Um, but, you know, that did that guy make it because he went to a, a great college like clearly not because he didn't graduate right 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 um and it's it's more and there's plenty of people who are you know ceos of big companies are very successful in you know sports or art or uh, many other things who either like essentially just went to a normal college for lack of a better word um, or, you know, they weren't considered quote unquote, like that smart in school. And then they end up being really successful in life. Like right. being good at school, good at test scores, getting into a good college will definitely give you paths that might've otherwise been closed to you that are lucrative paths, let's say, or like paths with prestige or success or things like that. But they, those are not the only paths to those goals. And they're by far the minority of the paths that I think really successful people take, which has a lot more to do with them. Yes. That's just a longer way of saying the same thing that you just said, which is (laughs) it's, it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't define you and it shouldn't. Right. It shouldn't. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world hosted by Tyler from achievable with Mark Kruver from capstone educational consultants. You can get a free trial of achievables ACT course by visiting achievable.me. And if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to get 10% off.